Pastors and church planners around the world need your help to receive a confessional Reformed Baptist theological education. Introducing the William Carey Scholarship Fund at Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. You can help students like Sam in India afford seminary training and Bible software with thousands of critically needed theological books. To learn how you can help, visit cbtseminary.org slash carry. Covenant Podcast exists to equip listeners with theological content from a 1689 Baptist perspective. We pray you find this resource edifying, faithful to Scripture, and Christ-exalting. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Jimmy Johnson here with my co-host, Austin McCormick, and we have the privilege of having John William Noble on with us again. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just open up the floor to John William and, and ask, what has 2021 been like for you and, and, and the churches in Scotland? And what is just really the situation going on there? Well, th- thanks for inviting me to come back on again. And I guess with this question, perhaps it might be helpful just to set the, the background situation because so much has happened this year, obviously in relation to these COVID lockdowns and it has impacted life in general, but particularly we're focusing on the church aspect. I mean, historically in Scotland, as probably many of the listeners would know, we, we, we would have been very much classed as a, an inverted commas, Christian country. We, we have been blessed to have a, a very rich Christian heritage uh, more so Protestant uh, Presbyterian than it would be Baptist, but certainly we, we, we do have quite a significant history in terms of being Reformed and Baptist. But as, as we've reached the kind of latter stages of the 20th century, it's been clear that most of the denominations in our country, especially the prominent ones, for example, the, the state national church, the Church of Scotland, have rapidly been abandoning the the word of God and it's led to apostasy. And in line with that, as the nation has been effectively abandoning God and his word, this country has become increasingly liberal. And I, I suppose it's good to maybe then establish that churches in this country with doctrinal clarity is few and far between in the current state and the general attitude of people in this country is very apathetic towards Christianity. Now, I think it's important just to kind of lay that marker down because it's going to help to establish the situation that we faced this year. So uh, for our church, we, we, we began as a church plant back in 2019, and, and we had a a number of people who came into membership. So we're a, a Reformed Baptist church. We're confessional in, in our doctrine. So if somebody comes to me and asks the question, well, uh, what, what do you need to do to start a church? Well, know what you believe and stand on that. And with that, it, it was a strong base by which we've grown. But in terms of establishing this in the kind of wider context, we would be considered a, a comparably small church. And yet we've been a, a fairly strong church. So Prior to the initial lockdowns that came last year, we had 13 members and a small number of others who were regularly gathering, and we were quite active in evangelism. But when the first lockdown came as a result of the COVID situation, we obviously had 
a, a number of things to rethink. Now, because we were in a rented premises, we, we did go into a lockdown last spring, but it was very important for, for me to stress and for us to look at the scriptures with regards to the, the limitations of the, the government's authority in terms of the local church and what the role of church leadership was in such a setting. And it was important to set that stage because even though we had uncertainty about the COVID situation last spring, this had the potential to escalate and become potentially problematic. And this is certainly what happened. So as we got towards the latter stages of last year, the government in what was now more focused on in Scotland, because though it was initially a, a UK wide situation, Scotland and England began to do different things. It was becoming clear that the Scottish government had no real interest for the law and the legislation that was in place to protect our freedom to worship. And so I was already looking into some of that legislation just purely on a my local church perspective and also with regards to, well, what can the government legally do if they order another lockdown and don't permit? So when we got to the very beginning of this year, the Scottish government came and announced another national lockdown, which included locking down the churches, which meant that it was illegal for churches to gather to worship. Now, to give contrast, in England and in Wales and in Northern Ireland, which also makes up the United Kingdom, they did not announce a lockdown of churches, but they did in Scotland. And they said it was because of a new variant strain that they were worried about with increased COVID cases, hospitalizations and deaths. So when we faced this, first of all, as a local church, what we were very clear about even prior to this being announced was if another lockdown happens, we as a local church will not stop meeting because we believe that it is important to obey God and because worship matters. And so because we were in a rented premises and naturally they, they weren't allowing us to continue to meet during those restrictions, we were meeting in secret. Now in, in Scotland in January, it's obviously very cold, especially in the, the Northeast of Scotland. So it was difficult, it took a lot of figuring out, but we, we managed to get something secured. So every week we were meeting. Now, I think one thing to stress for, for our church during that time is, this was the first time that I think any of our members faced any degree of pressure and to a very small extent persecution uh, comparably to other parts of the world. It was so small, but it was the first time we were really reconciling with the potential danger of being fined, maybe even arrested, because effectively what we were doing was breaking the law. And it took different members a different amount of time to reconcile with that issue. And I'm very thankful that the Lord sustained and strengthened us through that, rather than simply saying, as many churches did, well, we'll do what the government says and we'll try to get through it. Rather, we were considering, well, what's the Lord going to do through this tragedy, through this situation that we're facing as a means of strengthening our church? And the Lord did strengthen us. And by the time we got to March, which was two months into this lockdown of churches, all of our members were gathering to worship God in secret, and I give praise to God for that. Another thing that was happening during this time, 
I spoke with uh, another church leader in, in Glasgow regarding what the government had announced. And he and I, with the aid of a couple of others, put together a letter to go to the Scottish government to effectively say, what you've done is wrong. Please change this decision. Allow churches to worship. From my perspective, it wasn't because we need the government's permission to worship but it was still important to make a statement to the government that what we do and what we are as a church matters, and even to the church nationwide, because unfortunately many churches and many church denominations were standing by the government and endorsing the decision to ban churches from gathering. So we wrote this letter and it was rebuffed, so they didn't take us on. They certainly weren't going to go back on the decision that they'd made. So. In, in the Lord's Providence at that time, there was a, a Christian ministry organization in the UK called Christian Concern that were keen to support any church leaders that were willing to launch a legal challenge, which would lead to a judicial review of this ruling. So as of January, we began to discuss this. We got some a legal team together. So this was to work towards going through a number of legal challenge to eventually get a judicial review to review the decision that the government had made. Now, <clears throat> as we were working towards this, there was a lot of uh, press coverage and I, as, along with a few others, were criticised for not caring about public health and all the rest of it, even though a number of businesses and other things were allowed to be open and a number of things were deemed to be essential. Also, in terms of the legislation in our country, and this became key, there is a number of things that our brothers in past generations fought for. Literally, Christians were laying down their lives to protect the freedom for us to worship in Scotland. And many churches in this year were effectively ignoring that and endorsing what the government had said. But we still took this to a judicial review. And following the judicial review, the impartial judge ruled in our favour and it was announced that the churches had to open straight away. So the, the, the judge was effectively saying the government were wrong and that they don't know the, its own law. And so it was a bit of a, an interesting one because so many churches and church leaders that had been advocating for Romans 13, if the government itself don't know the law, then how can the church abide by it in the context of even an impartial judge recognizes that what the government has done is wrong? Even with regards to the use of data, the, the, the government official who was representing the case for the lockdowns couldn't show his workings. There was no actual data which was showing that this was a major spreader in, in local churches gathering together to worship. So it, it just proved how farcical the ruling was and there was no reason why Scotland was locking down churches, but not other parts of the UK. And I know this has been a situation that other churches in, in the Western world have faced, particularly in Canada. And it, I mean, personally, I just think it's been ridiculous. Uh, and I'm so thankful that as we as a, a church in this nation have faced the Lord's wrath and judgment, as we've been studying as a church in Habakkuk, Habakkuk 3, the Lord has remem remembered mercy and he has been merciful to us as we've sought to faithfully obey him. And just as a, a way of follow-up to this for our church, after we were, were, were able to go back into the, the rented premises that we were, we were meeting in prior to this second lockdown, 
we we've literally seen our church numbers double in recent months i think a, a number of people have seen what i and our church have done in challenging what the government has said and i think just generally there's there's a lack of leadership in the church in scotland there are so few voices that have been speaking about how important it is for the local church to gather and for our god to be worshipped and it's really exposed in in scotland that people don't understand local church they don't understand worship i mean we can say that about the government which is clear but even within the church in this land and so <clears throat> though uh, there are a few churches that have been faithfully seeking to to serve the lord through this this has sadly exposed the spiritual state in our in our country and and yet what what the lord's brought, brought to us is much fruit uh, we did a, a couple of evangelistic courses during the lockdown and through that two women have made credible professions of faith and this coming lord's day they're going to be baptized and then with uh, another two or three people will be welcomed into membership in our church this month and we've had people who've even been coming through our street evangelism to our services. One guy who, who says he's a pagan. We've had other people coming from all sorts of contexts, including people who have been looking into the whole COVID situation and, and questioning some aspects of it. And they've started to think about their own lives and questions about religion and God. And it's brought them to a place where they want to study the Bible. So we've definitely seen that, that God's been working it, in a, a time of great trial uh, and he's blessed us in our faithfulness through that with the people who've come and one of the practical situations one of the challenges that we now face as a church is that our, our numbers have grown to an extent where the premises that we're in is becoming too small and we're quite crowded in that uh, and so one other thing that's happened for our church which we're so thankful of is that a realistic opportunity for us to buy a building in the area that we're reaching has come. So we've now set up a, a building fund project to raise at least £100,000 by the 1st of October to be able to buy uh, a building that we would have as our own. As I've obviously stressed, as has certainly been discussed over these lockdowns, when, when we gather as a church, it's not the building that's the church, it is the gathering of the Lord's people, but we need a place in which we can worship. That's become all the more clear with governments trying to shut down buildings and, and rented premises being difficult. So I think it's very clear why the blessing and provision of our own building would be would be a, a great advantage going forward for much of the work we're doing. And given the, the situation we face in Scotland, we, we, we need much prayerful support and, and anyone who, who feels led to give to this project, this funding, we would much appreciate that too. Yeah, and uh, perhaps Jimmy and I can link to uh, where we can find that project online in the show notes uh, for our listeners so they can find out more information about that. And you can feel free to speak uh, more about that if you want to throughout this conversation. But yeah, we just want to praise God about uh, what he's doing through you and through your church um, in your country. You spoke of the saddened spiritual condition uh, in your country. So praise God that the gospel is going out where you guys are out and for the work that you're doing there. Uh, so thank you for that. And um, before I move this conversation on, I've scrolled through Facebook a couple of times and I've seen uh, live videos of you preaching and I've listened to some of your messages and greatly enjoy to listen to you preach. Um, 
where can listeners of the podcast find your sermons? Um, yeah, so I mean, obviously through this 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 lock lockdown situation, I mean, it it, it has still been imperative. We've thought to to have our, our online ministry live streamed because we've got especially one one member and a couple of others who've got health concerns, and I think that's been one fruit of it. And I mean, certainly it's been been humbling to hear people people have been kind of tuning in and listening to that. So um, I, I do pray that the Lord will be gracious and using that means uh so at the moment we're live streaming them on facebook so our church page is called grace baptist church aberdeen and we also have a website graceaberdeen.org and that has a link to uh, all the sermons that have been preached in the in our church and also the building project and other information about us hmm. yeah yeah you mentioned you're preaching through Habakkuk you pronounce it and yeah uh, I know it's different in America Habakkuk is it <laughs> yeah and then you previously were preaching through Mark weren't you yeah that's right yeah uh-huh. yeah yeah so uh I encourage you to go listen to John William preach uh he preaches excellent messages from the word of God and be encouraged by uh what uh God is doing through him in his local church well let's move this uh conversation on a little bit now you have founded Parisia books and you successfully raised funds to publish some very high quality Baptist confessional resources. Um, many of the people that have supported this project are eagerly awaiting for the books to release. And so we've seen that they have been released. Um, several of the copies have been printed. And so uh, we want to know when will they be released for order and when should people expect to receive them in their hands? And I'm going to add um, if someone didn't support the project at the beginning, how quickly do you anticipate that they might be able to get copies of these books? I, I mean, I, I suppose I, I should just, first of all, say a thank you to, I mean, including both of you, because when we started this back in what was September time, it was literally Daniel and I were meeting together in what was in his study in Glasgow, talking about an idea. We'd obviously previously worked on on a book I'd written on marriage and he'd worked for the Banner of Truth. So we had a bit of kind of book writing, book publishing history, but we were launching something that was ambitious, but we did think that it might gain a bit of traction. And in the space of our Kickstarter campaign, it was backed more than we would have anticipated, even in best case scenario. So we, we raised three times as much as we had anticipated, or at least we had hoped as a minimum uh, and so obviously the the focus for us when it came to the release of these books was first of all to get them to the kickstarter backers the people who were backing us when we were not an established publisher when we didn't have any printed books we were just an idea and we were sharing the possibility of releasing something so just to clarify what we've done Initially, we were advertising, re releasing a high quality edition of the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which would include the scripture proofs in full. And we have done that, but we also have now released three paperbacks in terms of what was initially going to be just one on the topic of doctrine. So we've got a short confession of faith the Baptist Catechism, 
and an orthodox catechism. So we're looking at Benjamin Keach, Hercules Collins. I'm sure a number of your listeners would be familiar with the, the material. I mean, certainly the an orthodox catechism, it was quite a job to work through that um, from an editorial point of view, but there's not many editions of that. In fact, all of those paperbacks, there's not too many out in print. I do think for people who, who, who kind of studied, especially kind of Reformed Baptist literature, this would be quite, quite a blessing to add to their collection. And also for people who are maybe looking into Reformed Baptist confessional material and wanting to know what it's all about. So we've now got to a stage as of last month, June of this year, where all of these books have been printed. So we, we discussed how many we'd get printed and what would be our situation with distribution and all that. So now we've established an infrastructure which will go forward, which should put us in a position to be able to make even future books more accessible and more quickly. Obviously, because we're just starting up and we're getting things sorted, there is a bit of a delay, but once that's sorted, it will hopefully not be the case going forward. So where we're at at the moment is we managed to get all of the books for the Kickstarter backers packaged, ready to be sent off. And for those who are in the UK, because we're obviously UK based, a number of them have already got copies of these books. Unfortunately for those in America, there's going to have to be more of a wait. Usually most of the, the best resources are in America and it's people in the UK waiting. So it's a different situation here, but we've managed to get a, a distribution platform secured in America as well as in the UK. So this will actually mean that people can buy our books relatively speedily going forward. So where we're, where we're at currently is that almost all of our books are currently in our distributor in England, which is called Almond Smith Limited. So if you, you maybe some of our listeners would know Pastor Oliver Almond Smith. So it's his business. They've got a, a distribution company in the north of England and they're going to be housing our books to be distributed in Europe and other parts of the world. But we're in the process of about to send a number of boxes over to America. And at least on a temporary basis, the distribution platform in America is going to be Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in La Mirada, which is uh, Pastor Sam Renahan's church. So we've been in discussion with, with him and also with the, the secretary of the church just about the practicalities of that. So this means that even though people in America are waiting a bit longer at the moment to get these books to come over, once they've arrived, not only will the Kickstarter backers get them, but if someone else wants to purchase the book, then it will be shipped from America, which will reduce costs on shipping. And it will certainly mean that there will be nowhere near the same delay if it was coming from the UK. So most even Reformed Baptist publishers we know of have, have usually only got one base with which they distribute globally. We've tried to begin with two, but obviously it's going to be an ongoing work in process. Uh, so uh, at, at this stage, we don't have an online shop available and only people from the UK can contact us about getting a book because we know we can ship it. But in the coming, we hope, weeks, maybe even this month, if, if the books arrive quickly enough, the online shop will be live and it will then be accessible for people to buy. I've, al I've also had literally people from four different continents contact me about 
selling their books in bookstores and different places. And I've had a number of individuals getting in contact. So I've, I've said that obviously, well, this is the situation. We're just getting things set up. But once it is set up, everything will be in place that things can go a bit more smoothly. In terms of the pricing of the books, unfortunately, it's British currency. So you can kind of um, do the kind of translate it into the, the American, but we'll be charging the books, I think, a relatively cheap price for the quality of them. So the Baptist Confession is being charged at £16.89. Uh, it won't have the same feel in, in America because it won't work out in that in dollars, but we wanted to work at that price. And it's a, a cloth hardback with obviously the confession with the scripture proofs. So I think it's a pretty good deal. The Orthodox Catechism is £8 and the other two are £6. So that's kind of where we're at at the moment. And hopefully for people going forward, it will be relatively smooth for them to get access to the books. Well, I am eagerly awaiting to get my own copy, so <laughs> um, to have it in my hands and to see it, and I'm, I'm sure it will be excellent, and I'm sure those who have already gotten it feel the same way, but we will try to wait patiently here, here in America. Um, one other project that you guys have, have been working on through Parisia books is you have started a blog series that is essentially like a commentary on the 1689 confession so several of those several of those have already been released um can you tell us a little bit about that project and and what its purpose is as well as what people should expect to find in those articles yeah so i guess one thing that I mean, this links into one of the motivators for beginning a publisher, a Reformed Baptist publisher in the UK, is that Reformed Baptist confessional literature, to many, even in Reformed circles, is something that is maybe historical at best or unknown at worst. And so I think the first thing is, when it comes to Reformed Baptist content, whether it's printed works that are out to buy, or anything that's accessible online, we, we want to create a, a greater platform for people who already have such convictions to have more material accessible. And I at least know many people who are maybe on the periphery who, who would say they're reformed, they have Baptist convictions, but they, they've not really clarified exactly what they, they believe in more specific ways. They wouldn't know so much about what it means to be confessional, especially. That, that's a big issue in a lot of churches that would say they're reformed. So I suppose one of the drives for doing something like this is so that we, we have a, a readily accessible, if you like, series available online that we can point people to. And so I've noticed one or two really excellent commentary style kind of series that are available online. But we wanted to also have more of a, a focus of application in the local church. So we want, ideally what we want is something that is going through the different chapters of the confession, just kind of giving some explanation from the scriptures, but also especially giving some pointed applications that help people to see that, well, our confession is of such great historical relevance but it is also of such contemporary relevance in the context of the local church. 
and to have especially a number of pastors contributing to this like like, like both, both of you to write this from the perspective of well our local churches are reformed baptist confessional and here is why and here's how it's applied i think could be a really helpful resource so I'm thankful that already even the chapters that have been released, we've had people such as Dr. Tom Nettles, Dr. Michael Haken, Dr. Sam Waldron, we've had Virgil Walker, Jeremy Walker, we're going to have Sam Renahan, a number of others who are contributing to this. So for people who obviously know a bit about some of these people, they'll know that, well, they'll be trusted resources in terms of people who know what they're they're talking about they've, they've written about this they've preached on this 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 topic the confession before and based on how it's been re reviewed re received so far I think the feedback has been relatively positive I mean given the fact that it's already being translated into two languages and possibly more is a good indication so in on our Parousia Books website if you go onto the 1689 blog series link you'll see access to the chapters. I think up to seven chapters have already been translated into Spanish. And the first chapter has been translated into Portuguese. And these are quite prominent Reformed Baptist platforms in these languages. And, and there's been discussions about it being translated into others. So I think in this regard, that, that's been encouraging and it's obviously been shared with a number of people. So I do hope and pray that even at this time, it will be helpful, but it's going to be there, it's accessible, it's free. So even in the future, it's something that you can point people back to. And hopefully it, it's got enough of a unique feel to it, especially in this local church emphasis, that people will see the merit of it. Well, brother, thank you for uh, coming on. Thank you for giving us an update about the condition of your church, uh, the things happening in your country, uh, your publishing company, Paracia Books, and talking about the 1689 blog series. It's been a joy to talk with you, brother. Yeah, it's been great to, to be on again, to have fellowship with you both as well. And to our listeners, uh, check out what we'll link to in the show notes, and we want to wish you grace and peace. For additional content, check out our blog ministry at covenantconfessions.com. Also, keep up with our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Next, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Lastly, Thank you for listening to the Covenant Podcast. Grace and peace to you. Now, this next part of the conversation, I'm likely going to edit out and put at the very end of the episode, but I do want to at least allude to it. We talked about it at the very beginning. Um, I mentioned to John William that uh, when I see his picture, it reminds me very much of Martin Lloyd-Jones because there is typically no grin or no smile, but I've enjoyed visiting with him here now. I've, I've got to see him smile a lot, and I told him I like to see him uh, smile a lot. So, brother, can you speak to, to this and what other people have said about your portrait, your picture? Yeah, so uh, many years ago when, I mean, I, I'd already been preaching for a while, but I remember, remember, remember a pastor saying to me, one thing you need to do in the pulpit more is to smile. And many years later, I'm still significantly working on this. So one thing that my wife said to me, and I think this was more based on how I look rather than my doctrine, she said, I would make a great Puritan portrait because unfortunately, 
smiling is, is something I, I sometimes I find difficult to do, especially when I'm when I'm preaching, because I do have such a joy in the Lord, but expressing the, the, the seriousness of it seems to be something I'm able to do more with my face. So maybe this is something that uh, you could attribute to me being Scottish, but I think it's an especially uh, notable trait of mine. Uh, so yeah, you can be in prayer that I'll look more joyful and expressively joyful when, I, when I'm preaching and when I'm when I'm welcoming people. I remember another pastor saying saying that, he was speaking of himself, he said that there's a lot of people who've got a very welcoming demeanor about them, but he said of himself, when he says hello, people are looking for the exit. And I remember thinking, well, if people are looking for the exit when you say hello, then when I say hello, they must be looking to jump out the window. But thankfully in our church, we've got a lot of very friendly and, and, and joyful faces. So people have said we're still very welcoming. So I'm, I'm really happy about that.